0: All right. Well, good morning, guys. Um, we are in our final week of our doctrine series called Frames, Frameworks. Now, let me just tell you a little bit about uh, what we were doing with this series and what our, our hope was. The hope for this time was for us as a church to say, okay, if we believe that this is true, if the, if the Bible is what it says it is, this is God's Word. Jesus rose from the dead and, uh, and we have a life of faith to live in, there are still a lot of us that are like, okay, that's great. I have this like seed of faith, but what do I believe? What am I supposed to believe? What does the Bible teach? How do I build a life of understanding? And for a lot of us, we will open the scriptures and read them cover to cover and build out a, an understanding of theology by, uh, by simply reading the scriptures but for others, and I've, I've even found this to be challenging in my own life, it can be hard to understand even as you read through the Bible cover to cover, well, what, is it, what does it teach about who Jesus is? And how do I glean that from reading a passage in Ephesians? Or how do I glean that from reading through the book of Revelation? How do I understand what the Bible teaches me about the person of Jesus? And there's a lot of stuff that you hear, especially if you're online and social media you'll you'll see theology just fly across your eyes whether you would acknowledge it to be theology or not it just it comes at you and the world is trying to form a picture of what you're supposed to believe and our hope as a church is that we would actually say let's form our beliefs from what the scriptures teach us and let's use that to then see the world through this different lens through these different frames, understanding the world and having a worldview that, that we could then interpret the things of the world through what the scriptures teach. That's the whole idea of having a worldview, is it's those things that you start to establish in your life. A picture a long time ago that my dad gave that was just really helpful for me was the idea of rocks in the water. It's the, it's the things that, that land in the river that everything else, the water of life just kind of rolls around it, but these things are set and they don't move. They just stay put. And for, for these, these elements of what we believe, they're the things that we hold on to, that we understand to be true, and life just kind of flows around them, and we interpret life through the lens of what we believe. So that's why we would do a doctrine series. And today's is particularly important. We're talking about the doctrine of the church. The fancy word for it is ecclesiology. The Greek word ekklesia is where we get church from, and we'll talk about that quite a bit. But ecclesiology is the study of the church. And Ryan was uh, joking with at our prayer time beforehand that, uh, that I talked about how there are about five or six different messages that I could have preached today, and it all would have fit under the doctrine of the church. It's a rather substantial doctrine. It's not something that really in half an hour would be totally and completely covered. There are whole seminary classes that last an entire semester on the doctrine of the church. So it's not something that we're necessarily going to cover comprehensively. But I did want to be able to answer a couple of core questions and, and give some grip, some foundation for what it is that we're supposed to believe about the church. So the three questions that I'm hoping to give some, some build out to today are what is the church, what is the church like, and what is the church for? So those three questions, I'd love to just give a high-level response to. But as we get into this, I just want to kind of set the table of maybe where some of this is coming from. There's been, I would say, a recent, and when I say recent, you know, when you start studying ancient things, recent becomes relative. But within the last probably 30 or 40 years, there's begun to be a, a pretty significant kickback against the church so much so that about 15 years ago, uh, a guy wrote a book, a guy named Dan Kimball, who's a, a friend of a friend. He lives up in Santa Cruz and leads a church up there. Uh, he wrote a book called, I Like Jesus, But Not His Church. And that, that title really s- communicated something that was becoming increasingly true, I would say, in the U.S., but it's, it's growing globally, that there's a high degree of respect for Jesus for what he taught, for who he was. Even, we're not really in an atheistic culture anymore. I don't know if you guys know this. There's a very small percentage of the world that would be considered a true atheist, not believing that there's anything beyond the physical realm. Most people would live in some kind of spirituality place where they acknowledge that there's something beyond the physical realm. And so, this idea of Jesus being part of the spiritual pantheon of the world, there's a, there are a lot of people who will acknowledge him as a great source of wisdom, a prophetic voice. But then they see what they understand to be the church, and they kind of kick back against that. It's judgmental. It's hypocritical. It's about the wrong things. The people there don't really look like the Jesus that you read about in the Bible. A lot of people have had personal experiences with the church that have uh, wounded I was there and I was in need and nobody loved me. I tried to break in. I tried to get through the walls of the social world that existed there and I could not get through for the life of me. I wanted so badly to be in and with and a part of, and it just felt like everybody there's goal was just to keep me on the outside of what was happening on the inside. I could not break through. Or even more tragic, I was there and I was taken advantage of, I was abused. I was, I was mocked. They stole from me. I was struggling to think about my own sexuality and the church just, just banished me. I was trying to figure out what I think about God and what I even believe about them and they told me that I couldn't be a part of their stuff if I didn't believe the same things they believed and on and on and on and on. The stories are endless. And for a lot of people, they've just tapped out so, you know what, I, I, maybe I could get on board with Jesus, but I just don't know that I could get on board with church. And I imagine a lot of you would know somebody that would fall into that category. Some of you may have been in that category or are, and for whatever reason you ended up here today, or you're on a path towards feeling that way. And I just wanted to, I want to start this whole time by acknowledging the reality of the difficulty of the church. There is a real difficulty to the church. At a fundamental level, what Jesus built, and that's all that we're going to get into when we talk about what is the church, at a fundamental level, what Jesus built is actually designed to bring a lot of humanity into the mix. And that humanity sometimes creates great difficulty. And one of the core questions, even as we go into understanding what is the church and, and what is it like and what is it for, one of the questions that we need to answer is, okay, if I struggle to engage with the church, does that mean that it's not something that Jesus has built? If I struggle to connect or if I've been wounded by or if I cannot trust the church, Should I throw Jesus out? Should I disregard and walk away? Or is it worth fighting through some of the humanity that exists and finding what Jesus has built? And that's ultimately the message that I'm going to hope that out of our doctrine would come this, this deep desire to be a part of what God is building in his church. So let's start by talking about what is the church, and maybe this will help resolve some of these difficult questions. So for a lot of us, the church as we understand it uh, is a building, you know, it's just, it makes its way into our language. We might say, hey, I'm going to church. And what we would mean is that we're actually showing up at this building. Like, oh, I left my sweatshirt at church is such an easy thing for us to say. And what we mean is we're talking about in this room, we left our hoodie and we need to go back and get it. And it just kind of makes its way in that church is what happens in the structure of the place that I go on Sundays that I do the things that are churchy. And so church kind of, we we sort of backdoor ourselves into a theology by talking about church that way. Or a lot of times when people will say, the church hurt me, what they typically mean is the the pastor and elder team, so the leadership structure of the church that is the church. And we know that a lot of people believe this because there will be people that have been with us for years, four, five, ten years and they'll say, you know, when you guys do this, or when you teach this, or when you say this, or when you go and do these things, and there's this distance between people that would most definitely call Anthem Church home, and then the leadership, and there's, they're, they're saying what you guys do when you do these things, and there's that, that gap, acknowledging the theology that the church is the leadership, not necessarily the body. See, again, a lot of times we backdoor our theology with our language that we just use, and we don't even know where we necessarily picked it up. For a lot of people still, it's more of an organizational thing. It's the 501c3. It's where the money goes. It's, it's the collective of whatever the church is. Call it the facility. Call it the leadership. Call it the bank account. Call it the, the nonprofit status, the government-recognized entity that is the church. And then for any of us that have grown up in a Catholic background, the church... Is what happens in, at the Vatican and everything that flows out of the Vatican. And the church itself is based in Rome and goes out from there throughout the world, and it's this holy Catholic church. And that's the picture that we have of the church. So our understanding of the church is wide. So let's take some time. Let's talk about, let's go back to the scriptures and let's take a look at what the church is, okay? So we're going to start with the first time the word church is used in the New Testament. This is in Matthew chapter 16, verses 15 through 18. Jesus is asking his disciples some questions. He says, who do they say that I am? And he asks about kind of his reputation out there in the world. And they they give their answers and, you know, talk about who people say that Jesus is. And then in verse 15, he said to them, but who do you say that I am? And Simon Peter replied... You are the Christ, this is Matthew 16, verse 16. You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, Blessed are you, Simon bar Jonah, that just means son of Jonah, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Okay, this passage is loaded. I could spend the whole day on this passage alone, but let's just take a few minutes and try and understand a a few of the key things that exist here. First of all, this would be one of the main differentiation passages between the Catholic Church and the Protestant Church. So the Catholic Church would look at this and say, you are Peter, and the word Peter means is Petros, the name Peter is rock, and on this rock, so there's that play on words, I will build my church, And that's where the Catholic Church has built their entire theology of the Pope is out of this passage. On this rock, Peter, I will build my church. So therefore, Peter is the first Pope, and then Peter would pass on papal succession to the next Pope, and the next Pope, and the next Pope pope on down uh, to our our Pope right now. Sorry, I forget his name. Um, But but that picture, and I didn't mean that to be disrespectful. I literally just forgot his name at the moment. I didn't write it down. But that picture of uh, papal succession is something that that the Catholic Church would point all the way back to Matthew 16 and say, this is the origin of that. Whereas a Protestant view of the church would go a different route and would say that what's being built here is not on Peter the person, but on the confession that Peter makes. So Peter says this. He says, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus says, blessed are you, Simon Barjona." I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock, referencing the confession that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, I will build my ecclesia. And that confession is the hub or the source of life in the church. And to understand that, we would go to a place like Ephesians 2, 18 through 22. It says this, For through him, we'll come back to Matthew 16 in just a minute, but for through him, we both have access in one spirit to the Father. That's through Jesus. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him, you are also being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. So in this moment, it's not Peter that is the foundation of the church, but rather Jesus himself is the cornerstone, and that's where we would look back at what Peter said. You are the Christ, the Son of the living God, and say that confession of Jesus Christ, the Son of the living God, is the cornerstone, the foundation piece of what God is building that's known as the church and so that actually informs a lot of our theology Jesus took a word he took a word that was pretty common in the day and hijacked it and he does this often this so is something that Jesus likes to do where he'll just take a word that people would be accustomed to using. The word ecclesia could be used for uh, an assembly or a gathering. It was even the word used for a riot. So if there was a riot happening, it would be an ecclesia of people. If you watch Tennessee, Alabama, that was an ecclesia out there on the field after the game. Like that picture is designed to, that was the Greek word, was just this assembly of people. And Jesus takes it And he says, on this confession that I'm the Christ, the son of the living God, I am going to build a collective of God's people, an assembly of God's people. And he took that word and he infused in it a new kind of meaning, a new kind of substance and significance. From that point forward, when they used the word ecclesia, there was no doubt in anybody's mind what was being talked about when Paul wrote about Ecclesia, which he writes all the time about the ecclesia. There was no question in people's mind what they were referencing because the ecclesia was what Jesus was now building. Now, between Ephesians 2 and Matthew 16, you need to understand that what Jesus is building is something very spiritual. He was not talking about a foundation of a physical building, a physical location in any way, shape, or form. Jesus said, on this rock I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Jesus was building something that was designed to function spiritually in this physical world. He was building an entity, a people who would carry his name into the domain of darkness, we talked about that quite a bit, into the domain of darkness and declare the name of Jesus and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And then in Ephesians 2, when Paul's talking about it, he says, you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. So Paul's understanding of the church and of the individual are very interesting. Paul will tell the Corinthians that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit, and then he'll tell the Ephesians that you together are being built up into a dwelling place for God by his Spirit. Now, here's an interesting question. If I am a temple of the Holy Spirit, my physical body, because I'm saved, is a temple of the Holy Spirit, am I church? And what Paul tells the Ephesians is that there is an individual component to the temple. You are being built. You're made a temple of the Holy Spirit. But then something supernatural happens as we come together. We're being built up into this collective. See, the ecclesia is not you. You are not the ecclesia, though you are a part of the ecclesia. It is inherently more than one person. It is inherently a togetherness, a collective, a group of people that is the church, that is the ecclesia, and it is a spiritual entity that's being built up. So now let's talk about the understanding of the ecclesia and how it, how it plays out. Uh, the church is described in two ways, universal and local. The universal church is all believers for all time. The universal church is the community of all true believers for all time. So when you fly to another country and you connect with another believer, you together are a part of the church. If you could travel back in time and meet with a a group of believers at a table in the 15th century, you would be a part of the church together. That's who will spend eternity together for all time. We are the church. We see this in Ephesians 3, 9 and 10. It says, and to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God, who created all things so that through the church... The manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. So Paul uses that same word, ekklesia, to talk about how God is going to reveal Jesus to the world. The manifold wisdom of God will be made known through all believers for all time. So that's the universal church. That's the understanding of that. But then something kind of takes shape in the scriptures. If you follow the line of the church as you go through the book of Acts, Jesus says, okay, uh, he did the great commission in Matthew 28. He tells them in Acts 1.4 to go and wait for the promise from the Father. In Acts 1.8, he says, you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And then it goes on and the church gathers in Jerusalem and they meet in the temple courts and they meet house to house. And they devote themselves to the apostles' teaching, to prayer, to fellowship, to breaking bread. It's this beautiful early church that happens. And sometimes we read the book of Acts and we just say, I want to be there. I want my church to be that. I want to be like them. And what we see is this this amazing ball of fire that's taking shape in the first eight chapters of the book of Acts. And then something happens in Acts chapter 8, verse 1. A great persecution arises and everybody left Jerusalem except the apostles. So you have the leadership of the church that stays back in Jerusalem, and everybody else went, gone. Now they believe that from Acts 2 to Acts 8 was a period of somewhere between 6 and 18 months. So the glory days of the early church was about 6 to 18 months in Jerusalem, where everybody was just doing life together, taking communion together, bringing their money, using it to feed the poor and help one another. And it was this powerful start to the church. And then everybody went out from there. And they all went out preaching the word. They went out as preachers. There was no other local church to go to. They didn't didn't move to Idaho and just start looking for another local church. They went out from that place as preachers of the gospel because they had been trained to go and do that very thing. And so from that moment when the churches scattered, churches were started in Colossae and Rome and Antioch. And it started to do something to the understanding of the church. And this is Acts chapter 9, verse 31. It says, so the church throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria had peace. So here, that's sort of like a universal, but it's also kind of local. Like it's all believers, but it actually has some named locales. The church throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria had peace and was being built up. And walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, it multiplied. The church, universal, this one group of people that was together started to multiply and have local expressions of the body of Christ that were happening in cities and villages and towns and regions all over the known place. And so when you see the church, it is this universal component. Sometimes we'll call it the big C church, the global body of Christ. And that is an absolute reality. And we we confess that and we love that. And then there's also this local element where each local expression of the collective of God's people is identified as the church, just as much as the global church, the universal church, each local church is known as the church. And you might look at that and say, well, that's not what Jesus had in mind when he said, on this rock, I will build my church. He was doing something different than that. These people just took it and did their thing. But then you get to Revelation chapters 2 and 3, and Jesus writes seven letters to the seven churches, and the seven churches are the seven lampstands. Jesus saw the local church. He knew them. He knew their deeds. He knew what they were doing. He had expectations. You've lost your first love. You think you're doing fine, but you're actually poor and pitiable and blind and naked. You're lukewarm and I want to spit you out of my mouth. You have this going for you, but on this side, you're believing that, that prophetess Jezebel. Like there are things that Jesus says to the local church that have to do with their practices and customs on the ground in their locale. And so we see this church as being understood as the global universal church and then also the local church. So the church is both, universal and local. The church can be big. Uh, my wife and kids are in Tennessee right now. They're at a church gathering right now at a church that has 13,000 people at it. Like, it's hard to, even, hard to even wrap your head around that small village known as a church. Like it's just hard to even conceive of that. And then our, our friends in Nepal are gathering what would have been probably last night. In a tin shed, corrugated metal, like 15 feet by 15 feet, worshiping the Lord, sitting on rugs, cross legged, as they sing praises together and open the scriptures together. And both of those are the local church. There's not a form that's prescribed in the scriptures. It's part of why you can go around the world and see church happening in so many different ways. There are core elements to the church, but there is not a prescribed form to the church. It should be this size, it should have this many elders, it should have this many people on staff, it should have this size budget, it should have this kind of building. None of that. Like none of that. That's all stuff that we've gotten to, as time goes on, be missiologists figure out how do we do this well in this coming era? How do we bring the name of Jesus into a new community? Have you ever thought what would happen if you were to to go into Papua New Guinea, into a place where nobody has ever heard the name of Jesus and your first move is to start building a building like this? And then you open the doors and say, I have started a church, everybody come inside. Everybody would laugh at that missiology. That's the the wrong understanding of what it means to be the church. And so to understand the church is to understand that God is doing something with people on the ground. What we would look at in the book of Acts is say that the gospel was being planted in communities and then the church was forming around that. In fact, we even see it with Paul when he writes to Titus. Titus and Paul had gone to Crete. They had gotten some of the churches started. And then Paul tells Titus, I've left you in Crete to put what remains into order. I want you to go and appoint elders in every town. So they started churches in every town that didn't have elders, that wasn't really a structured thing. It was people gathering together in the name of Jesus. But as time goes on, there is a maturing of the body of Christ, a growing of the structure and the leadership to help in the discipleship of forming people to become like Jesus. And so the church, while the form varies all over the world, the call of the church is to be the people of Jesus Living out our lives together in a locality so that we can carry on the mission of Jesus in this world. So with that, let's take some time, and let's talk about what the church is like. Uh, the church has a few different metaphors in the scriptures. Can you guys think of any of the, the pictures or metaphors that are used to describe the church in the scriptures? Christ. The bride of Christ, okay? The body of Christ. Excellent. Sorry, I can't hear that. Some murmurs, some mumbles. Nobody wants to say the wrong answer. You can say lots of things, it's fine. It's really okay. Uh, The church is uh, the household of God, the church is the temple of God. Uh, Oftentimes, the church is viewed in sort of a, a military picture where there's this commission to people, there's this command to go. The church has a number of different pictures and there's no one of them that fully encompasses exactly what the church is supposed to be like, but they're all written for us to draw from and understand how are we supposed to live as the church. And so when we understand the church, we understand that it's supposed to look like Jesus. Listen to this. This is Ephesians 4, 15 and 16. It says, rather speaking the truth in love, We are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. So what we have is this understanding that Jesus is the central figure of the church. The church is to revolve around Jesus It's to be discipled into the way of Jesus. It's to look and act as much like Jesus as possible. When we think about discipleship, my job is not to disciple you to be more like me. That's not not the job of a pastor, to disciple you to be more like me. We are discipling people to be more like Jesus. When Paul told people to imitate him, he said, imitate me because I imitate Jesus. He's like, if you need a physical example, sure, you can look at me, but it's Jesus that we're about and we're after. Peter calls Jesus the chief shepherd. The senior pastor of the church is Jesus. He's the one that leads and guides and directs the church. And so the people of the church should look more like Jesus every day that we are together. And when you start to look at what are known as the one another's, the phrase one another is used in the New Testament over 50 times to describe what's supposed to happen in the church. We're supposed to welcome one another... Romans 15, 7, as Christ has welcomed you. So Jesus is our picture of what it means to be hospitable, what it means to be open-armed, and welcoming and loving people into his story. Welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you. Live in harmony with one another. Aim for restoration and comfort one another. And Galatians five thirteen through love, serve one another. All of these are designed to mimic, to imitate, Jesus in how we live with each other. So if you were to answer the question, what is the church like? It's supposed to be like Jesus living out community with each other. Now what gets in the way of Jesus living in community with one another? It's usually just us. You have a bad day, you get grumpy, you get selfish. There's sin that takes root. You get angry and there's a foothold. And those things get into the fabric of the church and they can do serious damage. And so whenever there's been pain inflicted or difficulty caused in the church or whenever there are church splits and people can't reconcile or all of the horror stories of 2,000 years, you can look at it and you can say, it is people, human beings walking together trying to figure out how to do life with one another, and we struggle often. One of the one another's is that we're to forgive one another as God in Christ forgave us. And you hear that, and that's before there's any sin in the picture, there's this prescription that, hey, I want you to be ready to forgive each other because you're going to get into life together and things are not going to go very well. And here's why. It's because the church is for every human being on planet Earth. And inherently, inherently, there are going to be some clashes. I'll use Nepal as an example again because it's just—it's an easy place to point to. There is a caste system in Nepal. There are the, the untouchables all the way up to the upper caste of similar to India, very similar to India. There's a caste system in Nepal. And what happens to the caste system when a untouchable comes to faith in Jesus and an upper caste person comes to faith in Jesus the caste system is supposed to evaporate in the church it's supposed to go away and it is so embedded in life in Nepal trained in every way you're you're so oriented around one way of thinking one way of life that Tearing the caste system out of your soul, out of your worldview, out of your thinking is like a years long project to actually unpack all of the things that get so deeply embedded into our way of thinking. And that happens with us too. We come in with a certain way of thinking, we come in with a certain mentality, we come in with our own baggage, our own sinfulness. We give our lives to Jesus. We have a beautiful baptism. And so often the expectation is as we come up out of the waters of baptism, there is this ever-living holiness that just glows out from us and blesses everybody around us. And we are finished. Our sanctification is complete. And that's nowhere near the reality. And so then what happens is our selfishness and our sin and our narcissism and our anger and our hate and our bigotry and our greed, and our lust crashes into that same list from the person sitting next to us, and we just end up struggling. And it can be really hard. You guys are like, this is not vision for the church, Matt. Come on, lift me up. I want to want this, and you're making it hard. All right. So why would we do that? If it's that hard, why would we ever try? And Jesus told his disciples in John chapter 17, he said, when you walk together in unity, it is the single greatest testimony of the validity of the gospel. Because that, taking Jew and Greek and putting them together, taking slave and free and putting them together, taking male and female and putting them together, taking these these. Complete opposite ends of every social spectrum that exists and bringing them together under the name of Jesus is the ultimate project of humanity. Nobody has gotten it right. Nobody, not even one. In the history of humanity, nobody has gotten it right. But when we see a church walking by the Spirit, we start to see those things lived out. And it is a testimony to the reality that God is real. Now, Satan will do everything he can to just throw stuff in the way of the church. He will do everything that he can to break us up and to obliterate what is good about the people of God living together in unity. And he's pretty good at it. He goes after leaders. You see it happening all over the place. Leaders that we trust, leaders that we look up to have some secret life of sin. He goes after body life where where people are doing pretty well in a community group and life is all good and then somebody just has some opinion or something and it just blows up a community group and these micro splits happening all over the world. Those things are happening everywhere. But if we can walk by the Spirit, And live together in harmony as the people of God. The potential to actually bring the name of Jesus to this world is unlimited. The church becomes unstoppable. The gates of hell will not prevail against it. So when we walk in humility, the church becomes the thing that it was supposed to be for. Now, I said I would talk about what is the church for, and I'll just close with this, and then I'm actually going to bring Ryan up, who's going to share uh, why this is good news. So this will be just the the last thing. The church is for three things. Uh, It's been very simply put, up, in, and out. Just to, to kind of help you remember, what is the church for? The church is for those three directions, up, in, and out. The up is our relationship with God. The church exists for us as believers to learn what it means to glorify God in our work, in our lives, in our bodies, in our, with our mouths, with our money. We, we learn how to do life with God, to abide in Christ and for him to abide in us. And so there is an up component to, the, to our churches, and that's that worship element. There's an in component, and that's everything that we've just been talking about. The one another where we actually learn how to do life together. And we learn that by actually bumping into each other. We're to stir one another up to love and good works. And that stir is the word for agitate, sandpaper. It's actually supposed to be a bit uncomfortable for us to help shape better people, better Christ followers in one another. And then the out Is this sense of mission where we are told to go and make disciples of all nations. I'll tell you one story, and then I'm going to hand over to Ryan. Uh, Kevin Bailey was in seminary. Kevin leads Anthem Camarillo. Uh, He was at Talbot School of Theology, and on, on an opening day of one of the classes, the professor had this class. There were maybe 60 or 70 students in the class, and he said, What is the purpose of the church? And the class did this whiteboard session, and the professor was up there writing down everybody's answers, and they were saying all, every scripture you can imagine that had to do with the church, and the whiteboard was just filling up, and he started to draw these three giant circles around purpose statements, and he said, okay, right here, these all fall into this category of, of worship, Right? And everybody's like, yeah, that's good. So that was our up. What I just said was up. He would have this whole section that was up. And then this middle section, he's like, and and this all falls into the category of like koinonia, fellowship, right? The believers doing life with one another, right? And they're like, yeah, okay, that's a good summary. And so he does that. And then he says, this would be this kind of apostolic missionary, like the, the go out and tell people about the gospel. And everybody's like, yeah, okay. So he said, these are our big three categories. Everybody said, yes. He said, okay. Can we worship in heaven for all eternity? Yeah. Okay, good. Can we koinonia, can we fellowship in heaven for all eternity? Yeah. Do we do mission and evangelize the world for all eternity? And the class was like, no. He said, all right, so this one's got an expiration date? And everybody said, yeah. He said, I propose that we prioritize this one. That if we're going to focus as a church on one of these key areas, we we want to be a church that worships. That's absolutely core to who we are. We want to be a church that fellowships. That has to be an important thing to us. But there's something about the urgency of the gospel going out from us that has to be a priority in how we understand our purpose here on earth. That we are here to live on mission And so as a church, I just want to challenge and encourage us. That has to be a part of our minds. When we think, what is the church for? On this rock, I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Go into the darkness, and rescue is at the core of what Jesus has asked of his church. So Ryan, why don't you come on up and share why this is good news.
1: Hello. Like Matt said, I'm Ryan, I have a few other quick introductions to do, and I'll tell you why. Barrett, could you put the first picture up there? There it is. That's my wife. You guys just saw her a few minutes ago. You wouldn't believe how many people through the years have had no idea that we're married, because uh, she's <laughs> usually down in Anthem Kids, and I'm usually up here. They'll spend like a year here at Anthem and be like, oh, seriously? You guys are married? Oh, that's funny. So. That's her. Uh, that thing is not actually on her nose. That's the screen. Uh, so <laughs> that's that. And then I'll also put up there my two boys, Asher and Cyrus. Asher's 10, Cyrus is 7. If you guys are interested in talking baseball with anybody, they would love to be those people for you. Okay. So, uh, I mean, Matt just went through so many different things of, of what the church is supposed to be about. And. Uh, it's, it's fun to see times when the Holy Spirit kind of like tees things up for me because my notes begin, we know from passages like Matthew 28, 2 Corinthians 5, and pretty much the whole book of Acts that we are here to share the good news of Jesus with the hurting world around us. So if we're supposed to share the good news of, of Jesus and his bride, the church, one of the metaphors that Matt was talking about of the church, I think we, we all need to be able to ask ourselves the question of, how good do I think the good news of Jesus actually is? And I think you can kind of think about that with your life. Like, if you think that the, the good news of Jesus is the most amazing thing that you've ever heard, and yet you've never actually told anybody about that good news, like, how good is that good news for you really, right? And so, Trish and I were talking about this uh, a couple of weeks ago, and, and just some of, like, the, the core foundational questions of uh, faith in Jesus that, that we would want everybody to be able to have an answer to. And there's two, two questions right now that I want to talk through. One is, why is my life better because Jesus is at the center of it? And I think closely connected to that is, why is my life better because I'm a part of a local church? And if we're going to be expected to to share the good news of Jesus with the world around us, and even there's times, if you've been around Anthem long enough, you've heard us talk about the phrase, preaching the gospel to ourselves daily. I'm sure every single person in this room has had times where they've had doubts, where they've had big questions, where everything that Matt was talking about, where the church seems especially hard, why am I doing this? And I think it's important for us to be able to preempt ourselves with the answers to those questions that were up there a minute ago. Thank you. And to be able to have answers for that. So when things get hard, when it feels bleak, you can say, oh, that's right. I remember why it's worth it to have Jesus at the center of my life. And so what I want to do for the next few minutes is uh, give you guys a little bit of my answer for why I think my life is better, because I am a part of a local church, but specifically this local church, Anthem Church. Uh, Of course, this isn't a complete answer. I would imagine over the the years that I have ahead of me that the answers might shift and change and different things like that. But for right now, uh, I have four different things that that I want to share in no particular order. So, the first one that I, I... I want to say is that through being a part of a local church, I am in relationships with people who are not all like me. Like Matt was saying, a a huge metaphor for the church in the New Testament is that of a family. How weird would it be if my family was all 37-year-old guys who used to be good at golf? (laughs) I need people who are older than me to be able to look back at their life and tell me, hey man, you need to watch out for this, or you need to pay attention to this. And through this church, I have had really awesome guys who have been able to do that for me. One of them is sitting right here, Bob Cashier. One of them was sitting over there, Steve Larson and Drew Blaisdell. I don't know if you're here, but uh, wherever you are, thank you for, for doing that for me so well over the years. I need younger people in my life to show me that I'm not super old, but the way that I have done things isn't always the right thing. That there is a new generation coming up who needs to experience Jesus in a way that is genuine for them. Uh, Phil and Jake have done a great job with that. If you guys have kids who are in middle school or high school, they are in good hands. And I have a son who's headed that direction, and I'm excited for their time in uh, Anthem students. So my life is better because I surround myself with Christian people here at Anthem who are not just like me. Through being a part of a local church, I often get to help people see the joy of Jesus and come alive in Christ. So this is one of my favorite stories of all time. Uh, Spoiler alert, I'm basically just sharing stories for the next eight minutes. Okay. So in the early days of Anthem, uh, Trish and I were the youngest community group leaders. Uh, We started leading our group when we were just dating. Uh, I think I've said it from the stage before. I don't know if we would still make that choice to have a dating couple lead a community group, but when you're a new church plant, you uh, take risks. (laughs) So uh, we had uh, a friend of a girl who is in our community group who just honestly was not interested in being a part of the church really at all. She just kind of wanted to hang out with her sort of lame boyfriend, and, uh, and, and that was it. And and we just were able to see, like, through pretty frequent invitations that she eventually was like, okay, fine, I'll come over to, like, one of the dinner nights that you guys have with your community group. So she came. She had a good time. She stayed. And over the next few months, we got to see God, like, starting to to work on her heart even more and even more. She was more willing to have conversations about God than she was the month previously She was engaging in conversations, and then eventually, she was in church with us on a Sunday morning. Matt was teaching through uh, the book of Luke at the time, and uh, he got to Luke 6 that talks about uh, good trees bearing good fruit and bad trees bearing bad fruit, and Trisha and I got a text message that morning that said, I want to be a good tree, and for her, that meant I want to submit my life to Jesus. I want to be a Christian. And that was amazing news for us. We loved her so much already, and, uh, and so it was really fun for her to, to do that. And so she ended up uh, getting baptized by me and Trisha. Uh, when we moved into an apartment, uh, we were painting the walls she offered to help us that day. Uh, we were starting to talk about communion, and we ended up taking communion with her for the first time as a believer, uh, with leftover Amici's pizza crust and <laughs> an uh, and Arnold Palmer that she had brought over to drink. And so, uh, we just have this amazing story with her. I mean, she ended up moving into our house. Uh, she lived with us for about six or so years until she ended up getting married to a great guy, a different guy than uh, the lame boyfriend. <laughs> and, and it was just so fun to be able to see God take over so much of her life and continue. Of course, she's, God is still working on her. Uh, but we, we love her like a daughter. Uh, she's a part of our family now. And it was so fun that I and Tricia got to be a part of, of watching her intimately become a whole new person, a whole new creation. And had it not been for uh, being a part of a local church, I, I don't think that that would have happened. Through being a part of a local church, my family has found some of our most meaningful friendships. Uh, The Bible's full of examples of how important it is to find the right friends. Proverbs 27, 17 says, Iron sharpens iron, and one person sharpens another. Uh, Interesting anecdote when I was researching that uh, the literal translation of that is, And a man sharpens his friend's face, which I just think (laughs) is awesome. (laughs) The actual thing that I wanted to point out there is that that passage doesn't say, Iron might sharpen iron or one man could sharpen another. There's this inherent factual understanding in there that who you are with is going to be a big determiner of who you are going to become. I've heard it said before that if you want to see who you will be in the future, look at the people who you're friends with now. And so for me and my family, I have been able to see a picture of who my family will be in the future because I can look at the, the people that they've chosen to be friends with. And so, I have found so much joy in the relationships that we have found here at Anthem Church. Last story. Through being a part of a local church, I get to have God work in my life through other people that I actually know. And I've shared this story once or twice before, uh, but if you're new, I hope you enjoy hearing it for the first time. Uh, so, I showed a picture of my boys that were up there. Uh, Cyrus is the younger one. Spoiler alert, the is about him. So... Almost eight years ago, uh, our family was here on a Sunday morning, and it became pretty evident that Tricia uh, was having a second miscarriage. And so, we, um, so I'm not really ever a crier, and so I don't have practice of being able to, like, feel emotional and still talk through it. Uh, <laughs> Matt has mastered that gift. Uh, I, I, don't, I don't practice that enough. Okay. So, uh, so we were here. Uh, Things happened, and so we rushed home, ended up going to a doctor called a perinatologist the next day, They're the ones who have, like, the, the epic ultrasound machines, and he said, I see five different markers that your son is going to have some sort of a massive chromosomal disorder. We don't know what it is until we do more testing, but his kidneys are way too big. Uh, his intestines were the consistency of bone. Like, if you can think of what, uh, what a bone looks like on an ultrasound or x-ray, that's what his intestines looked like. And both of his feet, the, the bone structure was totally wrong. Uh, and, and so he said, you have to see that there's some, like, common thing between all of these. Uh, and so he said, you probably are going to continue to, to miscarry, but why don't we set an appointment for a week and a half from now, and we'll check things out if, things, uh, if you're still pregnant at that point. So that was Monday. Uh, on Wednesday, we would have normally been meeting with our community group. And for the, the few days in between, Trisha had just been in bed, um, but I, I was like, I really feel like we're still supposed to have our community group over on Wednesday night. So, uh, as hard as it was, we, we did community group that night. Everybody came over. Everybody knew what was going on. We were praying together, uh, and it was honestly just like a really sweet example of the body of Christ, the church uh, surrounding us in some of time, some of life's hardest times. There was one moment specifically that really stood out for, for me and Trish, uh, there's a girl in our group uh, who has like a really sweet prophetic gift from God. We've been able to see God work through her a bunch of times over our, our relationship with her. And, and she said, there's two things that I, I really feel like God wants me to say to you. Um, I'm, I'm just going to read it because I, I don't want to screw it up. Uh, I think he wants me to tell you that your baby is going to be a renewing light in the world. That was a phrase that kept on coming to her, renewing light in the world. The second thing is that I think he wants me to sing You Are My Sunshine to Your Baby to remind you that there's going to be life after pregnancy. So she started to sing. Uh, if you guys have been a part of prophetic moments, you could just tell when something is from God. And, and that was it for us. And we just knew very clearly that, that this was like a moment that God had ordained. Um, and so it was, it was really sweet. It was amazing. Um, Trisha didn't feel some like punch from the inside that said, I'm all good, or, or anything like that. But we went back to the doctor a week later, and, and he did that for us. He, he said, I, I don't know how, but one of his feet, the whole bone structure changed to how it's supposed to be. His kidneys were the right size. His intestines were black, which is a good thing in that case. Uh, and he's like this, absolutely medically verified miracle baby that God said, I'm going to just like fix all of these things. <laughs> so, my point in sharing all of that, uh, of course, all glory to God for, for healing him. My, my point in that, oh, this is uh, Cyrus. That's, so, he ended up being born with one club foot. Uh, so, if, you don't, if you're not familiar with what that looks like, his right foot. So, both of his legs were shaped like the one that's pointed up. Uh, and you can see that one of them was a totally normal baby foot. Um, the, the reason I bring up that story uh, isn't necessarily about the healing itself. It's to point out that I think that God could have healed Cyrus and done all of those things without our community group. But how sweet is it that that's how God works, is that he wanted all of our community group to be a part of sharing the story of being able to speak on his behalf to do all of these amazing things. So, uh, two bits of encouragement. Uh, I know what it's like to be on the side of the worship team and to not have enough time to actually do all the stuff that's planned for. So, worship team, I'm sorry. Uh, I know how you feel. Okay. (laughs) So, two bits of encouragement. One, uh, the two questions that I put up earlier, Barrett, if you could put them back up, I would love it if everybody who's a part of Anthem Church would spend time thinking through the answer to these two questions. Not the answer, your answer for these questions. One thing that I'll say our generation, and that's a loose hour, one thing that our generation is really good at is smelling out fake answers. And so that's the whole key of these two questions is that you need to have your own real answers. If it's just a bunch of stuff that your parents told you, or if, it's just a, if you're just like quoting a line from Scripture, believe me, I'm a very high Scripture person. But if it's just that, I don't think that's going to be sufficient for actually sharing the good news. I think you need to be able to, in, to include some of your story, some of your history, to be able to answer those questions because there's a world of people who need to hear it. Last thing I'll say uh, is to all the people who say, Ryan, that's amazing for you. I've never felt any of that. First thing I'll say is I'm sorry. I know Matt Matt shared so much of the things that, that can be hard about church, that people don't always represent Jesus perfectly. I don't represent Jesus perfectly all the time. And so uh, my first bit of encouragement, if you are one of those people, uh, is... The, the way that I wrote it down is to cut the safety rope. I know that there's a lot of times where people will kind of like step their toe into something that feels a little bit scary, uh, but my encouragement is just to dive in, like be all the way in. Don't have that quick eject button that you can press when something feels hard and you escape out of it. Even for Trish and I, that week where uh, we didn't know if Cyrus was going to make it, it would have been so easy for us to say, hey guys, we're not going to do a community group this week. But because we said yes, because we knew that we needed community, we have this this story that is amazing for the rest of our lives. So, uh, so jump in, cut the safety rope, whatever whatever line you want to say. Um, and the last thing I'll say is, is, don't give up. Keep trying. Once you've once you've dived, dove, dove in, into the water, uh, keep swimming. Don't just hop out whenever things get hard. Stay there. I promise. Uh, promises of God say that, that this is a part of what it looks like to be a part of uh, His body is by being here. So, with that, Matt, why don't you come back up? Come. And the worship team, you guys can come up too.